Opioid addiction is a growing crisis in America, killing roughly 47,000 people in 2017 alone. Reporters across the country have been chronicling the problem in their own communities, showing the human toll for victims, families, and first responders. With so much at stake, many have started to wonder, what are lawmakers doing about all this? Our story is about how Congress responded and really didn't respond to the fentanyl crisis. Um, There was really inaction when it came to doing anything on fentanyl. They had numerous chances to to do something, and, and they just didn't really act until tens of thousands of their constituents had already died. That's Katie Zesma of The Washington Post. As a vice reporter, she covers everything from guns to gambling and marijuana to meth. For years, she has tracked the ups and downs of the opioid crisis in the United States. But for this story, she wanted to look at things a new way. She wanted to show what wasn't happening. So we talked to about two dozen members, current and former members of Congress. And I have to say, you know, on both sides of the aisle, they were really, you know, kind of self-reflective and self-critical of the body itself, saying, you know, we we should have done more. We could have we could have done more, and and we didn't. On this week's episode, we'll follow Katie's reporting from the halls of Congress to a small town in rural Massachusetts. And we'll see how she leveraged a text story and a podcast episode to showcase two different facets of this nationwide crisis. I'm Kelly Knoyer, and you're listening to the IRE Radio Podcast. Opioid addiction in the United States is an evolving crisis that really has its roots in the 1990s. You know, this is not only affecting people now, it's really there's going to be a whole generation of kids who have been affected by by this crisis. And this crisis has been going on for so long. Like, really, it started, you know, kind of in the late 90s, early 2000s. So we're coming on 20 years of it. So I really do think that it's one of the defining issues of our time, and that's why it's so important to cover. Over the years, the opiate of choice on the streets has become more and more potent and more deadly. It was kind of morphing from pills to heroin to fentanyl. According to the U.S. Department of Health, more than 10 million people abused opiates last year, nearly 3% of the U.S. population. And while pills are still the most common, deaths from synthetic opioids like fentanyl are on the rise. Fentanyl is far more potent than heroin, so users are more likely to accidentally overdose. But it took years for Congress to even notice the problem. You know, the other thing about reporting on Congress is that there's a congressional record, right? So everything that is done in Congress is public. So, um, you know, we were also able to see how much fentanyl was, you know, mentioned or, or not mentioned. Everything is kind of out there in the congressional record. So that was a way that was really the way for us to kind of say this is what happened when and this is what didn't happen when. Looking through the congressional record led Katie to some key sources. She found a few senators and representatives who've been talking about fentanyl for years. So we found these senators and representatives who were really kind of leading the charge on this. And we just, you know, contacted them all directly uh, first thing and then kind of worked out from there. The congressmen leading the charge were all from districts that had been hit hard by the fentanyl and opioid crisis. Lawmakers from other places didn't seem to have the same incentive to worry about the problem. Fentanyl really first came into the U.S. in in Rhode Island, and then it went into Massachusetts and it went up to New Hampshire. Um, You know, it, it and those were really the first places to see it. So those representatives heard about it pretty early and were trying to do something. So, you know, lawmakers just weren't hearing about it in their districts or seeing it in their districts. So, you know, they weren't really that 
team to jump onto something that their constituents weren't seeing. The few officials who were early adopters of the issue became key sources for Katie. And one of the most important people was Senator Ed Markey from Massachusetts. Part of his district includes a small town called Taunton, population 57,000. So we actually found it in our interview with Ed Markey. He said that he first learned about fentanyl in Taunton, that he was at a Martin Luther King Day service um, at a church in Taunton. He was in the back of the, in the, the back of the church, and he saw the, the mayor and the police chief of Taunton, and he said to them, so what's your biggest problem here? And, you know, without hesitation, they said fentanyl. So we said, oh, that was interesting. It was January of, you know, of uh, 2015, and we thought, that's really interesting. This was very, very early. Senator Markey became a major voice in the fentanyl crisis in Congress, but he didn't gain much traction with other lawmakers. Massachusetts continued to lose hundreds of people a year to opioid overdoses. Part, part of what we wanted to do, right, was tie the congressional piece, like the big, broad lawmaking piece with the experience of people on the ground and then, you know, the experience of people who have lost loved ones to drugs. So Katie decided to visit Totten and see the crisis for herself. In the spring of 2019, Katie, pregnant with twins, hopped on a flight with podcast producer Ted Muldoon and flew to Taunton. Ted works on Post Reports, the Washington Post's Daily Features podcast. He worked with Katie on the audio version of this story. So what we found was a town that had really seen better days. Um, you know, Taunton is it's not far from Boston, but um, it does feel pretty isolated and pretty far from, from these places. So what we found is is a city that's really grappling with, you know, extreme number of overdoses and, you know, it's huge rise in deaths, but really isn't seeing that much help from the federal government. Three quarters of the more than 2,000 overdose deaths in Massachusetts were attributed to fentanyl in 2018, and Totten was in the thick of it. Katie used to report on opioids for the Associated Press and the New York Times, so she used her prior reporting to find local sources dealing with the opiate crisis. There were people that I had interviewed then who I ended up getting in touch with at the post later, later on. Um, you know, we'd, we'd had good relationships and, um, you know, were able to kind of add context or, or you know, whatever it was uh, once I was in the more national role. She met up with an organizer she knew from an addict family support network in Taunton. From there, she found relatives who lost loved ones to overdoses in the town. There's a woman named Judy Gilmore who lost two of her four sons to opioids. One died of heroin in 2006 and the other of fentanyl in 2018. And, um, you know, the way that she just was so open about her life and her pain and her struggles and the struggles her sons had before they died, um, you know, was really remarkable and astounding. Gilmore was very open when she talked to Katie, sharing terrible details about what had happened to her sons. It's still heart-wrenching for her. I mean, I'll never forget this. I I had to call her to do some, uh, I had a couple of follow-up questions when we were done, and I, uh, she kind of sounded far away, and I said, Judy, I can't hear you very well. And she said, oh, um, I, I only do speakerphone. And I said, okay, well, why is that? And she said, because her her son, who died in 2018, overdosed in her bathroom, and she called 911, and she had the phone to her ear, and her hands were shaking so badly that she like hung up a couple of times, 
And she said ever since then, she can't actually put the phone to her ear anymore. Katie says a lot of people are willing to talk if you approach them the right way. She and a number of other people have said this, that it, it almost cathartic to tell their story. You know, they want people to know what happened and they want people to know who their child was. And they also want people to know the dangers of these drugs. So, um, you know, it was, it was very difficult. Um, but, you know, I always say, listen, you know, I want you to be comfortable. You know, if you don't want to answer a question or something, that's okay. Just tell me, you know, tell me your story, um, you know, in a way that makes you feel, feel okay. Congress passed two funding measures to combat opioid abuse, one in 2016 and another in 2018. And federal funding for such programs totaled $5.5 billion in 2018. By then, the crisis had been raging for decades. That expanded drug treatment and recovery programs and access to medication that reverses opioid overdoses. So they did allocate money and they, they did, you know, they did do something. So you need to give them credit where credit, where credit is due. They did, um, you know, definitely put money toward this, but public health ex- experts, advocates, and even some lawmakers think that they're kind of just starting points that they were a good start. And, you know, it, it was great that they did that, but more needs to be done that they really kind of only scratched the surface of this problem. And there are other challenges like how the federal government's standard practice is a two-year funding cycle. You know, we talked to someone on the ground in, in Massachusetts who runs a treatment center who said she believes that part of it was that it just didn't, they couldn't get sustained funding for it, and there is not sustained funding for it. So everything that's come down has kind of been in these two-year increments and needs to get renewed. So it's very hard to kind of make long-term capital plans when you only have a two-year window to do so. People dealing with addiction in Taunton just didn't have a lot of options. The nearest treatment center is, is um, in Fall River. It's about 25 minutes away. So they don't get federal funding because they don't have a treatment center. Um, you know, but they're also just not, the mayor and the police chief both told me they're not getting what they need. And Part of the problem is how the federal government distributes opioid addiction funding. It's by region, not by city. You know, people on the ground really say that that doesn't quite get to what the reality is. You know, these towns in Massachusetts, they're not very large, but they have very strong identities. Someone coping with addiction in Taunton may only be 25 minutes away from a treatment facility by car, Katie said, but it's not always that easy. It's difficult for them because a lot of people, you know, if you don't have a car, right, there's not really a robust transportation network in southeastern Massachusetts. So, you know, as the woman who runs the center said, you'd have to get on a bus and the bus makes a ton of stops and it takes an hour and a half to get somewhere that it typically takes 25 minutes. And if you're in the throes of withdrawal or if you're not feeling well or if you don't have the money, you just can't make that trip. For the podcast, Ted Muldoon pulled just one month worth of 911 records for drug overdoses in Taunton. Getting access wasn't too difficult. Police were happy to share the scope of the problem with the public. The audio was haunting and revealing. It, it was just people frantically calling 911 because their loved ones were overdosing. So I think two that really stuck out to me were this woman who whose daughter was overdosing. She was in the bathroom, she was on the toilet, and 
she's just yelling her name. Her name is Stephanie. And she's just yelling, Stephanie, 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 and saying, you know, my baby overdosing. And it was just this, you know, really heart-wrenching scream that she was, you know, that, that she was saying into the phone. Here are some clips from other 911 calls. Yes, my friend, my friend is unconscious, my neighbor. His whole face is blue. No, I don't want me to have emergency. Um, somebody's uh, locked this over in the bathroom. Why do you think they overdosed? She's got a needle. I think that they, you know, kind of more than anything that I have seen or heard, and I've seen her a lot, really brought it home. You know, people who are confronted with this happening um, you know, and this is just one month and ton in one year, and this is happening all over the country. And it's, it's just, it's really shocking to hear. For reporters covering opioids in their own communities, Katie has a few tips. I did a story in 2017 about how the opioid crisis is really taxing law enforcement, how, you know, there's all this money for overtime now, social services are strained, um, there's a lot of compassion fatigue among first responders, you know, people who are reviving the same person, you know, four times in a week who are, who are overdosing, um, you know, in, in law enforcement has been, you know, in my experience, willing to talk about this. So talk to people who are really kind of closest in on the ground to see what they're seeing. You know, right now around the country, we're really seeing an influx again of meth and of stimulants. And, you know, the question is, will this be the next thing that comes after fentanyl? You know, um, there's definitely an an, an uptick in it. Law enforcement officers aren't the only sources who know what's going on on the ground. I'd say talk to the people who were in, who were running treatment centers. And, And also, I mean, talk to people who were using, because I'll never forget in 2011, I think 2010 or 2011, I was in um, Brockton, Massachusetts, and um, my colleague at the time and I went to this um, treatment facility, and we were talking to people who who were using, and, um, you know, one of them said, you know, well, at that time, the pills were one of the the, the main pills was being reformulated to make it hard to crush, because what you do when you abuse typically is you, you crush up the pill and you snort it. So they're trying to make the pills more tamper resistant. And I'll never forget, he said to me, well, you know, it's just getting too hard now, so people are just going to start buying heroin on the street because it's cheaper. And I said, really? And he's like, oh, yeah, trust me. And that's exactly what happened. So I think you really need to talk to people who are, who are using the drugs to understand what they're seeing and what people are talking about on the street because that typically becomes the next, national trend. Thanks for listening. You can find links in our episode notes to Katie Zesma's story and the Post Reports podcast episode on the same topic. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And you can spend hours listening to the stories behind some of the best investigative reporting in the country at ire.org slash podcast. The IRE Radio podcast is recorded in the studios of KBIA. Sarah Hutchins is our editor. From Columbia, Missouri, I'm Kelly Knoyer. Radio. Podcast. Podcast. You might want to do that over. Okay.
podcast. podcast.